Good morning. I can't believe it's May already. Where is the year going, guys? Time is flying by. So as you heard, it's the one series, and that's a series that we do. We've been doing it for the past three or so years. Um, takes place every May, and this year's theme is One Heart. So during this series, we're going to be looking at one heart for God, one heart for God's people, one heart for the lost, and one heart for discipleship. What's the common theme here? Our hearts. One heart, but the theme is our hearts. Our hearts are important. Whatever we do, whatever we say, is an outflow of the condition and the attitude of our hearts. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. The heart is the wellspring of life. And God wants to have a place there. He wants to have a place in your heart. So today we're starting with the topic, One Heart for God. And our scripture this morning comes from Acts chapter 2. We're going to be taking a look at the very first sermon preached in church history. All right? And um, we're going to see what this means, um, what it means to have a heart for God, and how to follow Him wholeheartedly. Um, And this first sermon is actually the blueprint for our Christian life. So if you have already opened up to Acts chapter 2, or if you're familiar with this chapter, you'll know it's something like 40-odd verses or something like that. So you guys prepared to sit here and read? We're going to read through everything. You guys don't have lunch plans, right? No, I'm just going to give a quick summary of the chapter. I do want to encourage you to go and read it when you've got the time. So after lunch today, you know, just before your nap, go take a, go take a look and read it. So in this chapter, we find the disciples gathered with a group of people in the upper room. Now, when you think a group of people, you're thinking maybe a small little, a small little cell group. No, it was 100, about 120 people in this upper room, and they had been spending time together. They had been fellowshipping, praying, spending time in the Word, that sort of thing, so kind of getting together and growing in their knowledge of the Lord. And during their time together, they suddenly heard something that sounded like a strong wind, but they didn't know where this wind was coming from. Just out of nowhere, it just started blowing. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit filled the room and came upon them. The tongues of fire on their heads. So the Spirit filled the room. And then what happened next is they all started to speak different languages. Now we have a variety of languages here, but how many of you have just started speaking a language that you never learned? That's what started happening that day. So all, all these people started speaking different languages. Now I want to just let you guys know that this was not a silent occurrence. They didn't just be filled with the Holy Spirit and start whispering. Hey, listen, I'm speaking a different language. Can you believe it? No, it was a loud occurrence. So much so that the people in the the town, in the area around them, started to hear them. They heard this commotion and they started to come out of their houses or stop whatever they were doing. They started to gather in front of this place where they had gathered. And they were hearing, now also take note, in this town, it's people from all over the place. So there's a lot of different nationalities. And these people that started to gather were gathering because they were hearing their mother tongue. They were hearing this group of people speaking their language, foreign languages. And they were confused because how is this possible? How are these Galileans speaking our language? 
It was a whole new concept to them. So they were confused. They were gathering outside this, this room and they were trying to figure out how is this possible? What is going on? How are these people speaking all these different languages that they had never learned? And so to try and understand, some people even mocked, oh, these guys are drunk. Right, so then we find in chapter 14, Peter stands up and here's the beginning of the first sermon spoken in church history. Peter stands up and he says, no guys, it's only 9 a.m. These guys aren't drunk. It's too early for that. He then goes on to explain to them what is happening. He goes on to explain that this is exactly what the prophet Joel had spoken about, prophesied in the Old Testament. That all these different things were gonna happen in the last days. And part of that was the Lord was gonna pour out his spirit. And that whoever calls on him is going to be saved. So that's what the prophet Joel had prophesied. He then urges them, he goes on to say, listen carefully to what I'm saying. And he goes on to remind them of what Jesus had done. Now take note, this wasn't long after the crucifixion. Okay, Pentecost did not happen that long after the crucifixion. So these people that had gathered, they had witnessed Jesus. They had been around when Jesus was around. They saw him do things. So Peter's reminding them, listen, Jesus did all these miracles, these signs and wonders. You saw it. You saw it for yourself. You were also there when Jesus was arrested and crucified and he died on the cross. In fact, a lot of the people who had gathered were probably there cheering, go, kill him, kill him, kill him. So they saw it then he reminds them that he didn't just die on that cross, he was resurrected. And probably a few of them had witnessed this as well. So Jesus had done all these signs and wonders. He was crucified, he died, he was raised again. He broke the chains of sin and death, just as David had said in the Psalms. Now understand, Peter's telling them these things, he's making it relatable, he's reminding them of things they already knew stuff that was in the Old Testament. So he's reminding them about this. So he's clarifying these these prophecies, they have taken place, they've been fulfilled. So that's what what happened. What I wanna focus on this morning is what happened next, in two verses specifically. So like I said, go home, read this chapter, see the story. But I want us to take a look at the two verses because there's some lessons that we can learn from what happened next. So Acts chapter two, and I'm picking up from verse 37 and 38, which says, now they heard this. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Two verses, that's all we're looking at today. But are you picking up that there's so much that we can pull from this? There are so many lessons that we can learn from just these two verses alone. So I want to point out four points specifically. I wanna look at four things. So keeping in mind what happened earlier in the chapter. Verse 37 says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So what happened here is these these people heard what Peter was saying and then they responded. Their response to his words was being cut to the heart. Guys, whatever we hear requires a response. Whether your response is ignoring it, that's a response or actually doing something about it is a response. So being cut 
They were cut to the heart. That was their response. And that's point number one. Cut to the heart. So what does it mean to be cut to the heart? Is it a gentle feeling? Oh, that was, that was so inspirational. I feel so, so touched. It was so moving. Is that what cut to the heart looks like? No. Being cut, the act of cutting hurts. When you're cut, it hurts. It's painful. It's invasive. So that means that what they heard didn't just make them feel, that didn't make them feel all warm and fuzzy. It cut to the core. It revealed something deep inside. It was painful, it brought conviction, and it exposed and ultimately brought revelation. So what Peter was saying didn't just make sense to them intellectually, right? It wasn't just in their minds and understanding, but it brought about something that went beyond understanding. What he was saying evoked a response from those who were listening. Now I want to point something else. That also means that Peter was compelling. They were listening to him. They were captivated and they were convicted. And I want to mention this here because I want us to understand something when it comes to sharing the gospel to those around us. To be compelling, you first need to be convicted. You can share the gospel, but to be truly effective in doing so, you need to be speaking from a place of sincere change. You have to have been cut to the heart. You have to be wholeheartedly believing what you're saying and you have to be truly transformed in order to be compelling. Have you ever listened to someone speak about something they're passionate about? And I don't just mean church, I mean in general. It can be a topic that you have no interest in but the person who's speaking is so passionate about it. Their eyes light up, their tone of voice, everything just draws you in because they're so passionate about it and they have your attention and you're listening. I don't really care about what you're saying, but you got me, man. (laughs) It's captivating. So it's the same with the gospel when we're sharing it. You can have people talking and sharing the gospel as a matter of fact, you know what? God loves you. God didn't wanna give up on you, so he sent his son to die for you, and all you have to do is respond. It's the truth, but is that captivating? Whereas if you listen to someone who is so convicted, they've had that transformation happen in them. The passion is there. They share their story, their testimony, how the Lord has worked in their lives. They draw you in with their story, with their testimony, with the gospel that they're sharing. The gospel not only becomes real in that moment, it becomes sharp. And that's the moment when it cuts to the heart because it's coming from a place of sincerity, it's coming from a place of conviction, it's compelling. Is your conviction compelling? When you share this truth with others, are they cut to the heart? Maybe I should be asking you, have you been cut to the heart? Now it's quite easy to know if you've been cut to the heart. Number one, because it hurts. You feel something. You're gonna know when you've been cut to the heart because it's, it's invasive. The Lord is trying to show you something. You resist it, but it hurts, and, it, and it, it's, it's noticeable. You know when you've been cut to the heart. Another way to know is, is by looking at verse, the rest of verse 37, where it goes on to say that they responded to Peter and the others and asked, what shall we do? So point number two is being cut to the heart requires action. 
They were cut to the heart first, but they didn't just leave it there, it didn't stop there. They didn't just experience the conviction, get over it, walked away like nothing had happened and gone on with their lives. No, they experienced this and they understood that something more must be done. They were kind of going, yeah, we hear you, we understand you, what next? So they asked Peter, what shall we do? What they were doing is they were asking for an action to take. And I think sometimes we get very comfortable in just hearing, but not doing. We get very comfortable just hearing, not doing. How many of us just come to church and we just hear, we don't do? And it's important to understand this because the church would not have grown and change would not have happened if those who were listening to Peter just went up to him after he was done and tell me if this sounds familiar and said, oh, thank you, Peter. That was a great word. Keep it up. You know, Peter, that was such a blessing. Your word was so good. I'm touched. I was so blessed by your word today. Thank you. That was such a good sermon. And then they just go home, go back their own way to their own lives, doing their own thing, not doing anything about what they had heard, living in their own way of living, not changing anything, stuck in their sin and not experiencing the beauty of God's mercy and grace and not experiencing the true freedom that comes in his presence. Does that sound familiar? See, that kind of response is void of action. I I hear it, but I'm not gonna do anything. How many of us respond that way? Oh, I hear you, pastor, amen. But you go home and do nothing about it. In fact, the minute you walk through those doors, you've probably forgotten half of what you heard. But that's not what happened, which means, because this is an example for us, so that means that what we hear, we need to act upon. We need to act upon what we hear. Are you listening? We need to act upon what we hear. It's not enough coming to church, hearing a good message, and then going home and doing nothing about it. Being cut to the heart requires action. And that's a good thing. Don't be scared of being cut to the heart. It's a necessary step in the process. So they asked, what shall we do? And Peter responds in verse 38 saying, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now there's a few things to be said about what Peter replied here. There's a few things that we need to take hold of. There's a few different actions to be done. But I wanna start with his first word in his response, repent. Point number three is repentance. Peter says that after being cut to the heart, you need to repent. Now what does repent mean? It means to feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. Now this was written in Greek. Do you know what the Greek word for repent is? Metaoneo. Metaoneo. Which means to think differently. That is to reconsider your actions. Morally to feel compunction. Who can tell me what compunction means? Anyone? It's a big word. 
What it means is to feel, and it's a big word just to say this, to feel guilt over what you've done. So your wrongdoing, your sin. So repentance is a feeling of feeling guilt and shame and remorse over what you've done. It's realizing that you've sinned. It's realizing that you've sinned, recognizing where you need to uh, make changes and then change your ways. Doesn't stop with just recognizing them. You then do something about it. It's an active response. Essentially, what you can say repent means, what repentance is, is to turn. Simple as that, to turn. Or more accurately, the way I said it is to actually return. So what it means is you're turning from one thing to another. So you're turning from your sin, your wicked ways, you're turning from that and you're turning towards God. And why I say returning is because we have fallen away from Him, right? We were never meant to live like this. We were meant to live in relationship with Him, but we fell away. And then we're living in sin and doing all these things we shouldn't be doing. So repentance means, I'm turning away from this, I'm returning to the Lord. So when we hear the truth that cuts to the heart, we experience this conviction where we feel ashamed of our sin and we realize that, we have, that what we've been doing is wrong. The way we've been living is wrong and it needs correction. So we're driven to take action and that makes us change our ways. It results in repentance, where we turn away from our sin and we turn towards God. That means we're turning our back on all our sinful behaviors and our sinful lifestyle and we're choosing, we choose to stop indulging that. Now I'm emphasizing choose because repentance is not spontaneous. Repentance does not happen on its own. You choose to do it. And I want you to notice something here about this choice. After Peter said repent, he he went on to say, and let every one of you. Now we'll get on to the rest of that sentence. But that every one of you. Think about those words, let every one of you. What stands out there? Hey? Everyone. It's specific. It's highlighting individuality that each person on their own makes this choice. Meaning that repentance is personal. No one can do it for you. Only you can decide to repent for yourself. I cannot make that decision for you. I cannot repent in your place. No matter how hard I try, I cannot repent for you. I can only repent for myself. And you have to choose to repent for yourself. Not only is repentance personal, it's private. Repentance is personal and private. That means I make the choice to repent for myself. And this happens between me and God. He cuts to the heart to reveal those shameful and sinful areas, exposes what needs to be changed, and then I choose to turn away from those things and run towards Him. None of you have to know what is going on in that moment. When I am repenting, it's none of your business. You don't need to know what I'm repenting about. It's between me and God. I don't need to know what you're repenting about. If you wanna talk about it, that's your choice. But the point is, it's private. It's between me 
and the Lord. Your repentance is between you and the Lord. So after being cut to the heart, we need to take action and repent. And we like the part that it's private, right? We like it. No one needs to know, it's just between the Lord and I. No one needs to know that I've made this decision. It can remain my secret, just between God and I. But guys, that's not where it ends. Many Christians wish that's how it happened. In fact, a lot of them live that way. God knows I've made the choice. God knows, that's all that matters. You don't need to know. I'll live how I wanna live, but God knows that I've repented. That's my secret. God knows and that's all that matters. If that was the case, if that's all that God wanted was that it was just your little secret between him and you that you've repented, Peter would not have gone on to say and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. There's one more step. Baptism. Point number four is be baptized. After choosing to repent and making the necessary changes and being changed from within, an outwardly expression takes place. See, there's place for the personal and the private, but there's also a need for the corporate and the public. Now, here's what I mean. Repentance is just you. You can do it in silence, you can do it alone in your room, doesn't matter, it's just between you and God. But baptism is not so quiet and not so private. Baptism requires at least one other person. Doesn't need to be a big show, but it requires at least one other person, which means it's not so private anymore. And it's public. It's a public declaration of that private decision. It's an overflow of the changes brought about from repentance. See, baptism is you identifying with what Christ did for you. It's you making the declaration that you are choosing to follow him wholeheartedly, and it's you celebrating with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's community. It's community. And that community is necessary because what's happening, it's not just about the person being baptized. It's the whole thing that's going on. That public and corporate step is important, not just because it's your public declaration of your faith, but the fact that it's corporate means you're asking for accountability. You're being baptized in front of people. People are witnessing that. We do baptisms together. We don't pull you aside and go do it somewhere quiet and secret. We do it together, corporately, as a community. We celebrate with those being baptized and in the process we're witnessing to their commitment. And as witnesses, as members of this community, we are committing to helping our brothers and sisters to holding them accountable to their choice. We celebrate their baptism, their choice to turn away from sin and turn towards God. And that means that if we see them begin to move away, if we begin to see them do something they shouldn't be doing, their behavior starts to change, they start slipping back, it's our responsibility to hold them accountable and lovingly, lovingly correct them and pull them back in and help them where necessary. When we witness baptisms, we're committing ourselves to hold them accountable. 
We need to hold each other accountable and we need to support each other as we grow and change. It's part of the process. That repentance happens personally and privately. But we are not going to be able to continue if we remain isolated. We need that public and corporate so that we can hold each other accountable. Now before we go on, I do just want to mention that if that is you today, that you feel you've You've repented and you've made this choice, but you haven't made the public de declaration yet. Don't wait until our next, public, our next uh, baptism service is announced. There are blue forms at the back. Put your name down today already to be baptized in our next service, our next baptism service. It's going to be later in the year, but start now already. Put your name down so that you will make that public declaration. Amen? The next step is baptism. So, we hear the good news corporately, we make the choice personally and privately, and then we declare and live it out publicly and corporately. Does that make sense? So we hear it corporately, we make the decision privately, and then we declare it publicly and we live it out publicly. So having your heart for God does not happen in isolation. So these four points are the stepping stones. They get us to the point where we are living our lives with a heart for God, cut to the heart. Being cut to the heart requires action, repentance, and be baptized. These four things, they work together. You cannot skip one. You cannot leave one out that you don't like. You have to go through it. They all tie together. They reveal areas in our lives that need work, and they result in true change when we respond to them and take the necessary actions. And I wanna say, it's when we respond. Like I said, these things don't happen on their own. We can be cut to the heart, yet do nothing about it. And we can claim to have repented, but if we have not been cut to the heart first, then how can we be sure that we've truly dealt with the issues deep in our hearts? So all four of these go together. A heart for God means desiring what he wants. It means giving him a place of authority in our lives. And that means over everything, not just the areas that you feel comfortable giving to him. It means everything. You see, I can claim to be a Christian. I can say the right things. I can do the right things. I can look the part. But cleaning the outside is not enough. It has to start from the inside. The change has to start on the inside. It's an inside-out process. And that inside process begins in the heart. For us to truly and wholeheartedly follow God, then the issues of our heart need to be dealt with. And we see this clearly in the story of the rich young man who asked Jesus what he must do to have eternal life. And Jesus says to him, follow the commandments. To which the young man replies, I've kept the commandments. I've done all of this since my youth. So since he was much younger, he kept the commandments. He was doing all the right things, but he could sense that that's not enough. He says, I've been doing it. What more should I do? What am I still lacking? So we see Jesus' response to him in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21 and 22, where Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, Go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. 
But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, youngsters, you heard this on Friday. Was Jesus telling him that to get into heaven, to have eternal life, he needs to sell all his stuff? Was that the way to heaven? What was he actually doing? Anyone, what was he actually doing? He was? Humbling himself. Close? We just spoke about it. I'm going to have to talk to you guys. Pull your ears. Anyone in the back who can give me an answer? Was Jesus saying that in order to get eternal life, you have to give away all your stuff? What was he actually doing when he told this young man that? He was cutting to the heart of the issue. What actually happened here is Jesus was revealing to this young man that his heart was not on God, it was on his possessions. See, you can do all the good stuff. Doesn't mean your heart's in the right place. The young man walked away sorrowful. Why? I have to give away my stuff? Really? He wasn't saying that you have to give away your possessions in order to get into heaven, to have eternal life. He was cutting to the heart of this young man, revealing that his heart was with his treasures, not with God. Jesus cut to the heart to expose the problem. Jesus cut to the heart to expose the problem. He went straight to the core, and that's what he wants to do with us. So what is he revealing to you? What is he trying to expose in your life? What is he cutting to the heart of? Because he's doing it with all of us. Like that young rich man, we all have certain things that we kind of cling to, where it's very easy for our hearts to be there instead of wholeheartedly with the Lord. So what is it that he's revealing to you? What is he cutting to the heart of the problem of? And when he cuts through to your heart, you need to consider what is your response going to be? Are you going to walk away sad like that young man did and then probably do nothing about it, just continue living your life the way you've been living it, holding on to your stuff? Or are you going to respond like the crowd did to Peter and ask, what shall I do? If we want to be effective in our relationship with God, if we want our lives to reflect his love and goodness, if we want to make an impact in the lives of others and share the gospel with them, then we need to experience this first. I cannot give what I do not have. And it's not right of me to push you to something that I have not myself experienced. So in order for us to be effective in sharing the gospel, we need to have had this happen to us first. We need to be cut to the heart first. We need to go through this process, be cut to the heart, make the choice to repent, turn away from all those things that are hindering our growth. And we need to publicly declare our faith and hold each other accountable and strive towards getting closer to God's heart every day, ensuring that the desire of our hearts is to be close to Him and to have our heart beat for what God's heart beats for. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're realizing that, you know what, maybe I haven't truly let go of my treasures, whatever that is. 
Let go of my selfish desires, of my destructive habits. I'm realizing I haven't fully surrendered to God and to his process. Maybe this morning God is cutting to the heart of an issue in your life. Maybe he's opening up and exposing certain areas that you need to change, things that need to be cleaned and removed, revealing personal sins that you're still attached to and don't want to let go of. If that's the case, listen. Listen to what he is trying to tell you this morning. And don't walk out of here sorrowful that that is what he's asking you to do. Don't walk out of here sorrowful that he's asking you to let go of certain things. If you're being cut to the heart, good, I'm glad. Do something about it. Don't just feel it and then leave it. Feel it and do something about it. Take action. Turn away from those hindrances and turn towards God. Return to him. And then maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, you know what, I've, I've been good. I'm doing the right things. I'm keeping the commandments. Unlike that young man, do not be disillusioned that looking the part and doing the work is enough. That there is some specific formula that you can follow that is going to get you the A-OK. Go beyond the surface and ask yourself, if you have truly been changed from the inside out. See, when you're alone and no one can see you or hear you, they don't know what you're doing, are you still keeping in line with God's will and his word? Or are you straying a little bit? That's when it counts. Not like this, where you can see that I'm doing good. It's when I'm alone, that's where the condition of my heart is gonna come out. So what are you doing in your alone time when no one can see you, when no one knows what you're doing? Are you keeping in line with his will? And then maybe you have experienced this conviction. Maybe you are going through that process. You've been cut, from the, you've been cut to the heart and you're being changed from the inside out. You're responding to what God has exposed in your life and you're actively doing what is necessary. If that's the case, good. But let me ask you, are you so focused on yourself, on that process, that you haven't taken a moment to look up and look around you and see if any of your brothers and sisters need help? Or have you even bothered to share what has been happening to you with someone else? See, it's not enough that it just happens to you and you're going through this process. That's great. It's part of it. But don't keep it to yourself. Share it. We need to be cut to the heart, we need to repent, we need to be baptized, but that's not where it ends. See, it starts with you, it starts with me, but then it has to continue. We cannot keep this to ourselves, we cannot hide this from the world. And in the next few weeks of this series, you're gonna hear how to do this, what this should look like, what needs to happen after we've been changed from the inside out. And I want to emphasize this with Peter himself. Peter could have kept quiet that day. When that crowd gathered and asked what was going on and saying, oh, they must be drunk, whatever the case is, Peter could have kept quiet. He could have ignored the crowd that had formed. He could have said nothing, but he didn't. 
because Peter had been transformed and he didn't keep that to himself. He shared it. Who remembers how Peter behaved when Jesus was crucified? The Peter of the Gospels, right? He was all big mouth, but when push came to shove, he denied him. He denied knowing Jesus three times, not just once, three times. He hid away. He was a coward. That's who Peter was. Yet here we find him boldly declaring what Jesus had done, and he was sharing the good news. It's night and day, the transformation, going from being a coward to boldly declaring. Peter had been changed from the inside out. He had a heart for God, and because of this transformation, he became a different person. And that change allowed God to use him in a key point in the church's history. Peter led roughly 3,000 people to salvation that day. And the church was born because Peter stood up and spoke because Peter had been changed from the inside out. Imagine what God wants to do through you. If he could do that to Peter, what does he want to do through you? What could he do through you? What power could come from you just taking part of this process, surrendering to it, being changed from the inside out. Imagine the change that you could make in your area of influence. Imagine what the Lord wants to do through you. But first, you have to allow him to transform you. You need to be cut to the heart. You need to be changed from the inside out. You need to surrender to the process to become fully committed and be in this wholeheartedly. And then, you step out and passionately share what God has done in your life. So let me ask you this morning, where is your heart today? Where is your heart today? If it's not where it should be, then I want to urge you to make the choice to return. Give him your heart. Surrender to the process. Allow him to transform you. All of us here this morning should have our desire set on him so that we all have one heart for God. Amen? Where is your heart this morning? I, I truly pray that you are being cut to the heart, not necessarily by what I've said, but just that the Lord is cutting to your heart this morning, revealing something to you. And I pray that you're not gonna ignore it. But like that crowd, that spoke to Peter, you're asking, what shall I do now? And you're gonna hear the response and you're gonna do it. Let's be people of action. Let's not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Let's not be comfortable in just filling these seats on a Sunday morning, hearing an inspirational message, oh, good sermon, and then go home and do nothing about it. Hear what is being said. Let it take root in your hearts and let it change you. Amen. 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 Let's stand up this morning as we close in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you that you see our hearts. You see everything. And I want to thank you, Lord, that you don't just leave us as we are, but you see the potential within us. You see what we can do. 
and you want us to do it. So Father, I pray that you are cutting through to our hearts this morning, that you are opening up and revealing those areas where we still need to change. Those areas where our hearts are not fully on you, but on our stuff, on our sins that we don't wanna let go of, that we're still too comfortable with. Father, I pray that you will cut through to our hearts, that we will not be able to deny that you are revealing something to us. And I pray, Father, that we will be people of action, that we won't just realize this and walk away, but we're gonna realize it and do something about it. Father, I pray that we will truly repent, that we will turn our backs and choose to walk away from those things that are not pleasing to you, those things that are keeping us from you, those things that are keeping our hearts away from you. Father, I pray that this transformation is gonna take place in our lives, that we're gonna be transformed from the inside out so that our conviction is gonna be compelling, that when we speak to others, when we share our story to others, our words are gonna become sharp as well and cut through to their hearts. I pray, Father, that we're gonna be like Peter, completely transformed, that then we're gonna have this boldness and this courage to speak about you, to share your goodness to share what you have done for us and to bring your truth to others, Lord, that we're not gonna hide away, that we're not gonna get stuck in that private and personal decision where we're okay with it being just between you and I. But Father, that that change is gonna be an outward expression as well, that when people look at us, they are going to see you. May we be a reflection of your love to this world, Father. May we be clean from the inside out. May we not focus on the good works and the good things, Lord. Not getting stuck on if we follow a specific formula, we are gonna be okay. But that we understand that you need to take control of our hearts, that you need to have authority there. Because from that, from the attitude and condition of our hearts, that is the wellspring of life. That is what comes out. So Father, I pray that life and love is what's gonna be pouring out of us. That we're gonna be people who are wholeheartedly seeking you, wholeheartedly serving you, wholeheartedly taking action on your word. So Father, transform us. May we open ourselves up to your process. May we surrender to the process. And even when it's painful, let us just continue to push through it, knowing that on the other side, is perfection in your eyes. So Father, I pray that you will take us home safely today, Lord, that you will bless us and keep us, that your hand will be upon us, that you'll be guiding us in everything we do, that you'll continue to speak to our hearts and that we'll just continue to reflect you. Let your light shine through us, Jesus. We thank you, Father. We give you all honor and praise and we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.